is one of the most important catalysts for data. And so almost all other data becomes more valuable when you add location and proximity to it. Um, without um, proximity and location, the data is a lot harder to, to consume. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel and this is a podcast for the geospatial community. Today I'm talking to Ari and Ari comes to us from a company called XYO and these guys are doing something really interesting with blockchain and geospatial. I hope you enjoy the interview. And today I'm joined by Ari, and he's going to tell us all about um, what he's up to in the, the world of geospatial. Ari, could you uh, introduce yourself, please? Yes, of course. Uh, well, thank you for having me on here. Uh, my name is Ari Tro. I am the, uh, the CEO and the founder of a company called XY, which um, has a big portion of its XYO, which is uh, called the XY Oracle. And uh, I've been a software engineer and entrepreneur for uh, many, many years, a couple of decades now. And this is uh, my latest uh, endeavor that I've been, been working on for the last uh, seven years now. I guess it started in 2012. So it's been a pretty long journey so far, but we're doing some really interesting things with location and with blockchain. Excellent. So th- those are two really massive subjects. How are you mixing location with blockchain? Or may- maybe if we could start off with the location bit first. What- what's the important thing? What- what- location. We've got plenty of location. What are you guys doing with it? Well, uh, as you uh, I noticed the company's name XY is, um, is, is specific for the location aspect because it's a coordinate system. Um, we really function actually in a XYZT coordinate system, but XY is a little bit shorter for a name. Um, we kind of started off in a world where we were using Bluetooth devices and uh, IoT devices to gather real-world data from uh, the world. And uh, location is a very, very important part of that because where the metadata is that you're collecting is one of the most important components of it. So, for example, if you have a temperature reading, where the temperature reading is is very important. And then um, also for well, one of the problems we ran into early on was uh, certainty. You know, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this with uh, Pokemon Go, for example. If a person's harvesting Pokemon that's only in Africa, but they're not actually in Africa, how do you actually get that certainty? So um, in our, our, our years of working on this, one of our challenges were always was always data certainty for a lot of the data we collected, whether it was location data or other metadata. And we found um, about a year ago or so, uh, while working on some blockchain efforts, we found that we can use location, uh, relative location, not absolute location, as, uh, or so some people call proximity, but we use that as a way in blockchain to increment the certainty of the actual position of something that happened in the real world using blockchain. So. Um, you know, the location aspect of it is very, very important because location or proximity is one of the few heuristics we found that's actually co-optable by two parties, as opposed to temperature. The temperature never reads you back, but the other party, if there's two parties uh, exchanging radio signals, for example, they can both sign a datagram that says they were both there. If we, you said a whole bunch there, I'll just try and summarize it quickly. What I understand is that this idea of proof of location, can you prove that you were actually there? When we're talking about Pokemon Go and we think about GPS, for example, and we know that we can, we can spoof GPS, we can trick it, we can pretend like we're there but not really there. So you're saying that if you can prove that someone's actually in that location and if someone can verify that, then we have a, a, the basis for um, a contract maybe? Correct, correct. So one of the, the uses for this is using a smart contract where um, you can actually 
release a payment or do some other action based on uh, a proximity interaction between two different devices or even a, a real world location. So um, like payment on delivery is one of the most common use cases we talk about where having a package arrive at your doorstep and then some crypto payment goes and fulfills the, the promise of actually paying for that delivery. So you don't actually pay for it until it's delivered. And um, you know, having high certainty for that's obviously very important. So we focus generally on certainty over accuracy. Accuracy is obviously very important, but that's something which uh, we've gotten better and better with, with many people out there, you know, Google and all those companies are working on that effort. But certainty is something which we felt was left behind in many cases. So that's really where we went. And you know, one of our, our, our big goals is this data-centric um, you know, metadata cloud that we can talk about also. And the one of the barriers for that for us over the last seven years was the lack of certainty. And now that we've conquered, in our opinion, uh, a lot of the certainty problems, we now have a lot of things which we couldn't do before that we can now do. I, I think that's really, you're highlighting a really interesting issue there in terms of geospatial, is that certainty. We have like put a lot of resources into accuracy. And I mean, how accurate do we have to be? But that's a really, I think that's a really interesting point. Certain, how certain are we there? And especially if we're talking about smart contracts, if we're talking about releasing a payment based on that we can prove the, the proof of location that you are there or this thing is in that location and you can verify it then possibly the accuracy is is not really that important i mean if you're three millimeters off or three meters off for the for, for that matter the point is that the the parcel if we're talking about e-commerce for example the delivery has been made it is at your address correct correct so i think in many many cases the certainty is way way higher um you know anywhere from you know logistics to food service to military applications um, or even games like Pokemon, certainty is something which often gets overlooked, but then eventually people realize that a very accurate reading that's false is not very useful. Yeah, <laughs> that's true. Okay, so we've talked a little bit about the location side of it, um, and you're tying this to the blockchain. Why, do you, why are you doing that? Well, so the interesting thing is we kind of have two blockchain aspects of our technology. One is the tying into the blockchain as far as being able to interact with a DAP or a smart contract. So a person can release a payment. And that's kind of a necessity as far as it's um, you know, a cool way to show what our technology does. But really what our white papers are about um, is using uh, blockchain technologies, blockchain techniques, not necessarily a, a Bitcoin type centralized or sorry, decentralized ledger or shared ledger, but rather um, blockchains that are actually maintained on the edge by individual nodes that aren't shared ledgers. So these are actually independent private ledgers that we make with a blockchain and they're, they're co-signed with other parties as you go and interact with them. So the description I normally use for people is, imagine if when you're going through the world, you have to stop with every single person you run into, take out your camera, take a selfie, print two copies of that selfie and then have yourself and the other person sign it. And each one of you takes a copy of it and then puts it in a sequential folder where you can't change the order of that ever. So imagine if you have this stack of selfies that you've generated over the last, say, two weeks, the information about and the certainty of where you've actually been, because you have hundreds or even thousands of different people who have witnessed and signed the fact that they've witnessed your proximity to them, it's very, very hard for you to go and claim that you were somewhere where you weren't because that data thread is co-opted by so many different data points. And then their threads, you know, if you go one more degree, their threads are co-opted the same way. 
So our system works the exact same way as that, except for we obviously realize it's not really practical for a person to go and take their camera out and take selfies. So our devices and our app on our phone basically does that cryptographically for you with just radio signals. So it's not a, a literal selfie, it's more of a figurative selfie, but it's a, a much easier way to think about it as far as um, it's, you know, it's what we call it bound witness because literally we're using cryptographic signature to bind the data from two different witnesses of an event. So we're talking about a network of devices that are, are recognizing each other as they move around the world and confirming the location of the other device. Exactly, and storing that in an audit trail that's immutable. Yeah. Okay, and we, we talked a little bit before about e-commerce. We talked about this idea of smart contracts where the payment is only released when I can prove that that thing is at the location. Like In terms of e-commerce, you know, when the package arrives at my address and it's been verified by this network, then the payment is released. What other use cases can you see for this? Um, we've talked to, to probably 100 different uh, you know, potential and um, and current partners and use cases. And so there's many, many of them, but some of the ones that are more interesting to me are, um, if you go to logistics again, uh, proof of origin, one of the big problems people often have is, um, is counterfeit goods. And by counterfeit goods, I mean ones that actually work, but they're not made in the correct factory. So an example could be, you know, if you need a, a, a airplane part and you want to certify that the airplane part was made in say Paris or in um, Seattle by the actual manufacturer, you can use proof of origin as far as you have an audit trail of all the locations that this thing has checked in and you can prove mathematically that this device at a minimum traveled through the factory where it was manufactured. Now, um, if uh, the Byzantine party can actually sneak their part, their fake part into the originating factory and then ship it to you, that wouldn't be detectable, but it's a lot more difficult to do that than for a middleman to go and buy it from a a secondary or tertiary um, supplier and pass it off as an original part. So that actually proves that um, that origin of it. But then you can also prove the voyage that goes along with it. And the, the example I often use is ice cream because uh, for anybody who's got ice cream that has melted somewhere along the way, but it's frozen when you buy it from the grocery store, it's kind of gooey inside. So right now, most logistics will tell you, you know, when a person delivers something, you know, what's the current state of it? Is it, is it frozen? So if I get a delivery of a bunch of ice cream is all melted. I'm not going to accept it as a, as a store. But if it's frozen, but it melted for a day while it was sitting in the sun in a truck somewhere, that's bad also. With this, the audit trail, which comes along with it, shows that you know every five minutes, a reading was taken on this, this crate or this case for the temperature, and it shows that the temperature was maintained for a certain period of time. Now, ice cream may not be that important, but if you take this and um, there are pharmaceuticals, for example, that require to be uh, kept under a certain temperature or under certain conditions. Same thing there, you can verify this with these different sensor readings, see the actual locations of where it was and the times of where it was. So you have a very um, secure audit trail to show the safety of that item. So I think food safety, um, pharmaceutical safety, those sorts of things I think are, are very, very important because they're very difficult to actually certify. And then we can even take it to a, a more of a social aspect where if you want to verify that a steak that you're eating is actually a free-range cow, you can look at the data of the cow before it was slaughtered and how much time did it spend walking and how far did it go. So, you know, did it actually stay in one spot on the map for a year or did it actually get to wander around for a while? And then this audit trail of the life of this cow is something which you can certify. So when you get a steak, 
at a restaurant, it could be certified free range as opposed to just somebody told you that this was a farm that was free range came from. Those are some use case scenarios I had never thought of. I must admit the first time I heard of this and what you're doing, I thought this is going to make the best treasure hunt in the world. It can be used for that too. So that's you know, definitely one of the use cases that people people uh, definitely want to use it for. But that's kind of you know, the Pokemon Go model, right? Yeah. Where it's a treasure hunt. Right? Um, so we definitely want to use it for that as well. But as far as practical um, commercial applications, there's there's a, a, a a plethora of those as well. Yeah, like I mean, it sounds amazing, but it also sounds incredibly complex. I mean, you're going to have to have a huge network of devices, either that or maybe it's going to be a software solution at the end of the day where all of our cell phones just have their software installed on them and off they go, they begin recognizing and verifying each other as we move around the world. But I mean, to get this thing up and running today, what, what do you have this network? Is it around? Are you hooking into someone else's network or are you building your own? And if so, how are you doing that? Well, one of the benefits that we have is we, uh, prior to the, this proof of location crypto effort of our company, we also are a successful IoT company. So we produce over a million devices that are out in the world that are Bluetooth um, devices that work with cell phones. So we're kind of starting off with um, a network of our own that we can lean on. And then um, also growing that network through our own apps, through partner apps for cell phones, and then also in, uh, embedding our technology in existing hardware and new hardware as well allows that to be expanded. But in some of the, the use cases, for example, if it's um, you know, a logistics one, the company which is using it, as long as they put infrastructure in the areas where they want to track this, they don't need a, a ubiquitous network all over the world. It's only for the treasure hunt type or um, you know, open open area, or open sandbox solutions that you really need a, um, a concentration of these things in every part of the world. So as long as you have it in your factories, on your trucks, and on the routes that you care about for um, logistics, you can make these these um, these auto trails without having to have a whole bunch of public infrastructure. So I think over time, that will be the, the easiest way for commercial applications to get that going. And then for the, um, the consumer applications, probably using apps and phone installs would probably be the the primary way to be able to expand the network for their specific use. Okay, so that, that sounds a little bit less overwhelming, I have to admit. I was thinking if I was a, a delivery company, for example, the idea of having to cover the world with devices and make sure they were connecting and you know, uh, retrieving that data from them somehow just sounded like an impossible task. But what you're saying is that uh, a company or anyone looking to, to track items in this way could just install their own network just in points that were crucial for them. Correct. Like, you know, if you uh, ship from a certain port to a certain port, you just put them in those ports, you put them on your ships, you put them on um, you know, railroad cars or wherever it is that, that matters to you. And of course, you know, the more devices there are in the world and the more third party validation we can get, that network, even if there's a private subset of that network, that becomes more certain because there's third parties which are observing it. So it's kind of like the equivalent of, you know, a person who is walking through the wilderness somewhere and taking selfies of themselves. And perhaps there's you know, two or three people there with them. They're all taking selfies of each other. That's pretty, pretty substantial. But then if you walk through Manhattan um, or London or somewhere where there's a lot of people, you can take a bunch of selfies. But if everyone else is taking selfies of you as well, the difficulty of being able to fake a selfie becomes you know, orders of magnitude more difficult. So definitely the concentration of, of people and devices is um, the network effect there makes the, the certainty approach 
uh, 100% pretty quickly when you have a decent amount of concentration. And so it's not a, it's not a linear growth in certainty with the number of witnesses that's in the area. It's actually a, more of a geometric growth of certainty. And where do you see this going in the future? I mean, it, it, like we we're all running around talking about blockchain, like we did. I hate to make this uh, comparison, but like we did, you know, five six years ago about big data. Is blockchain going to fade out, or is it going to be here? Is it here forever? Well, my, my view with blockchain is um, it's kind of a little bit atypical, I suppose, for most of the people out there. Um, you know, I think the technology is amazing. It's obviously one of the reasons why I've gotten involved in there. But uh, I'm old enough to have been through the dot com era as well, for example, and. I view it very similarly to to the internet and the web. So if you go back to the late '90s, and you know people were like, "Well, you know, this is internet thing. It's going to be here forever. It's going to be awesome." And people started making um, everything in on the internet and all these different things, but they didn't think through a lot of those things. So if you look at the number of companies that still exist today from the dot com era, there, you know, like Amazon, for example, amazing company worth what almost a trillion dollars. There are those huge success stories, but there's also you know, a wasteland of failed companies from the dot-com era. I think the same thing's going to happen to to crypto because just adding crypto to any use case out there is not a smart thing to do because in some cases, crypto or, or blockchain makes a use case worse. Um, the example I always use for that is dating. So you, know, you, can, you can take Tinder and add blockchain to it, and now you have a slower app that permanently record your dating history for you in public. Is this an app that anybody wants? Well, probably not. So I don't think blockchain plus anything is necessarily better. So you have to go and find those specific use cases that makes it better and also find the technologies that will actually um, scale and be able to, to add features that improve a system. So another example I would use for that is IPFS. So IPFS is it's not really a blockchain technology, but it is a crypto uh, technology and the idea with using hashes to be able to uh, share data in a trustless way. I actually think IPFS is a concept and a, and a methodology that's gonna be huge and it's gonna scale really, really well for a lot of use cases. Um, Bitcoin and a centralized or decentralized shared ledger concept, I think is great for currencies or for being able to have decentralized currencies, but does that scale necessarily to other things? Same thing with smart contracts, you know, using smart contracts for um, ICOs or for uh, property recording, or there's a certain you know, use cases which are great for it, but there's many use cases where, for example, I saw a Space Invaders app written on EOS, and every single missile launch was recorded as a transaction on the EOS blockchain. Really cool proof of concept and really neat technology, but at the same time, is that something which is, from a business standpoint, a thing which makes sense? So I think there's gonna be a lot of a lot of fall off from uh, projects that weren't thought through from a business standpoint, but they're really interesting from a technological standpoint. But you have to kind of do both of those, and I feel our company has done both of those. We have a a practical and useful and novel technology which we've created. At the same time, we're also going and monetizing that through relationships and pushing it out there from a business standpoint. So, getting the technology and the blockchain part and the business portion uh, at the same time. Makes sense. So Ripple, for example, also is a good one where you know they've gone and they've they've made a specific solution for banking out there and being able to to transfer large uh, amounts of money for cheaper ways than current um, systems. So yeah, there are you know a few dozen I'd say projects out there that I think are really really promising and will really really make it. But for us to say 
of the top 500 projects that 490 of them will be huge. I just don't think that's true. Just finding those 10 or 20 or 30 that are going to be huge is the is the goal, and it's not that easy. Yeah, I want to come back to into a little bit about um, about building this network. And you said before you were an an Internet of Things company. What was the what what's the technology your network or your sensors are, are built on? And is, is this is this something I can download? Can I install it on my phone today, or is it a piece of hardware that I actually have to get from you, or can I get it from anyone? How does that work? Well, so um, we use uh, an app for iOS and for Android. So we, um, our our traditional or our call it our legacy IoT solution is uh, a find it a find it location system. And so basically, you get a Bluetooth device or Bluetooth beacon, and the phone acts as a bridge and sends the data to the server, so it can uh, remember the history of where something has been and show you on the map where those things are. Um, our blockchain portion that we have a, a app called XYO the XYO app, there's an Android version that's currently available, the iOS version will be out um, this quarter. And those basically by themselves work and you know can be used to make the system. So for example, at home, if you know there's roommates or a family and four or five people all have this app installed there, the system will work just fine with that. And then you can expand that with uh, a hardware bridge, which we produce and also hardware sentinels that we produce to be able to gather more data. And that's one of our big efforts is to both expand our hardware offerings there, but more importantly, find partners to implement our protocol on their hardware as well. So that way we don't have to make all the hardware in the system because our goal at the end of the day is not to be a hardware company, it's to be a a protocol and data company because our fascination is with with data and producing more data, making that data valuable, uh, weeding out the bad data and uh, actually acting on that in a way that benefits users of, of apps. I know I realize we're running out of time. You're a very busy, busy person, and I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me. I just want to ask you one more question. Is location uh, something that you are personally interested in, or was that just the, the best use case for, for your technology? Well, uh, the thing which I'm, I'm personally really interested in is uh, objectifying of the, the universe and the world. So the way I look at the world is, you know, I used to call it Webel, where the idea is everything in the world, whether it's a person or a computer or an ant or you know, a nail, they all have um, metadata about them that just exists, that just is, they have a history. In some cases, that hasn't been recorded, we don't know what it is, but they're all individuals. So if you decompose the world into all these different objects in the XYZT realm, that's what defines reality in many ways. And then it, there's, you know, different versions of reality. If you look at the data which I've collected in my mind and the way I perceive that XYZT reality, it's different than how Larry does or you do or each person has their own perception of that. But each of us interact with each other the same way our sentinels on our system interact with each other and we talk like we are right now all the way across the world or in local different areas and then we expand that data set that's in our minds. So um, my basic fun of fascinations really data sets and data set theory where there's data sets and how do data sets interact but the fact that these data sets or at least the important data sets for most of us are um they're they're anchored they're almost avatar based anchors in the physical reality of the world makes location very very important so where you are in the world and where you are relative to each other in the world really affects the uh, that data point is very very valuable and very very important for a lot of these things so um you know knowing knowing when i should call a person because where they are in the world 
is important because then it might be sleeping, for example. So location is, is one of the most important parts there. And then on top of that, proximity, which is relative location, is one of the only things we found that is easily co-optable by two parties. Um, most other sensor readings are, they require three parties to co-opt it. So for example, two different parties both read uh, temperature and then they both sign a datagram saying that we both read this temperature and it's the same thing. But one of those things you want in all those datagrams is, well, how far apart were these two people and then where in the world were they? So um, I personally believe that, that location and proximity is one of the most important catalysts for data. And so almost all other data becomes more valuable when you add location and proximity to it. Um, without um, proximity and location, the data is a lot harder to, to consume. Gotcha. Ari, I want to thank you so much for taking the time to talk to me. I really appreciate it. Before we head off, um, can you just maybe tell us where we can go to find more, find out more about you and your company and what you're up to? Oh, yeah, it's definitely. Uh, please go to xbio.network. Uh, that is our website that talks a lot about our, um, our location uh, concepts there and this whole project. Uh, xy.company is the, the corporate uh, website uh, that owns the, uh, the entire system and that sort of a thing. So those are the two websites a person should go to. And then um, we also have a lot of presence on different social outlets on Facebook and on Instagram and those sorts of things. But if you just search or even Google for XYO Network, um, we, you'll find us all over the place. Excellent. Thanks so much. Well, thank you very much for having me on. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Mapscaping Podcast. My name is Daniel, and I just want to remind you that a full transcript of these podcasts is available at mapscaping.com. And if you would like to reach out to us on social media, you can find us on Facebook and Twitter as Mapscaping and MapView on Instagram. We'd love to hear from you. Thanks very much. Talk to you soon. Bye.